Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was selling a bunch of shoes I had and my wife posted them on trading up as uh, many people do these days. And she posted several of them and a guy said, Hey, I want to buy all of those for a hundred dollars. And my wife was like, yeah, that's great. And so the guy came and got the shoes left a hundred for my wife. And I was out of town. And so my wife texted me and said, Hey, I sold the shoes. Good news. Awesome. Great. Sold them for a hundred dollars. Great. That's awesome. Um, I think the hundred, the guy left is a counterfeit. And I said, what makes you think that? And she sent me this picture. Now I'm not sure you can see this, but this says prop copy. Now I'm pretty sure that a real hundred dollar bill doesn't say prop copy on it. It's a counterfeit, right? It's a, it's a forgery. And, and what do, what, what, what's, what's true about counterfeits? They're, they're deceptive. Okay. They can, they can, they can pass off as the real thing, but what's also true about a counterfeit? It's absolutely worthless. It's worthless. It is worth zero. It's worth zero dollars that, that counterfeit. So it does nothing for us. It just, it tricks us. It makes us look foolish. And we get nothing in return for our faith, our trust in that forgery and that counterfeit. Well, listen, the scripture says there are counterfeits out there. There are counterfeit teachings and counterfeit gospels. The, the Bible calls it false teaching. It calls it uh, false gospels. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today in our study of Colossians. If you got your Bible, open up to Colossians chapter two. We're going to look at how do we spot a counterfeit. How, how do we not get taken captive to use Paul's words from Colossians two last week? How, how do we not get taken captive by empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense to, to, how do we not get taken captive by human teachings? So Colossians chapter two, we've been studying the book of Colossians, not just in here, but in our small groups, we call them city groups. If you're not in a group, I invite you to join one where you can study the book of Colossians with us. We give uh, our group leaders the, the verses to read and some questions to ask and some prayer points for you. So if you're not in a group, jump on our app, click city groups and join a group or start a group for you, your family, your friends. We've invited you to join us in the study of Colossians by doing our daily devotionals. And I want to invite you to do that again this week. Uh, we will break down these verses that we're going to read and study here this morning. We will break these down a couple of verses a day. We provide you commentary, uh, some application points and some prayer points all through along the way each day this week, Monday through Friday. So join us in our daily devotionals as we continue to study the book of Colossians, not just in here, but in our groups and in our daily devotionals. And here's what we've said. The theme of Colossians is Christ supreme is the theme. That's the theme of Colossians. And here's where you can kind of fill in the blank in our app under sermon notes. You fill in the blank with those words that are in all caps, download our app, the city church, Lubbock, click message notes and the points and the verses will all be there for you as we go. But we've said Christ supreme is the theme. And what does that mean? What do we mean by saying Christ is supreme? Well, we're saying that Jesus Christ is worthy. He's worthy of our worship, our love, our devotion, our lives, our sacrifice. We're saying Jesus is sufficient, that he is sufficient to satisfy the longing in your soul and that nothing else and nothing less than Jesus will save you, 
will sanctify you, that is to grow you spiritually and will bring you home to heaven one day. It is Christ alone. He is sufficient to do all of those things. We said Christ supreme means that Jesus is God's will for your life. If you wanna know what God's will for your life is, you read in the book of Colossians, it's Jesus. It's a relationship with God through Jesus. That is God's will for your life. And here's the theme of this week. Christ is supreme to complete. He is supreme to complete. In other words, you don't need anything more than Jesus and you cannot accept anything less than Jesus to save you, to sanctify you and to bring you home to heaven. Christ alone, we just sang about it. Christ alone, cornerstone. In him, we are made complete. Now, doctrine matters. Theology matters. And those are just two big words that will sum up what it means, everything that you believe about God. So what do, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What, what do you believe about God's word? Th those things, those different points of beliefs in those areas would be called doctrine. It's called theology, what we believe about God. And listen, doctrine, your doctrine matters. Your theology matters. The doctrine of our church matters. The scripture is clear. Good theology, good doctrine will result in life and joy and flourishing and prospering in this life. Bad doctrine, bad theology will lead you to death and destruction. It's worthless. And so it's important to have good doctrine, good theology. And we should consider that a whole lot more when we're finding a church. Most Americans today look for a church based on if they like the worship style, if they like the path, if he's a really good preacher, or if the kids ministry has all these events or the youth ministry, we, we look at all these different things. And, and some of those things are, are kind of important, but what should be most of highest importance is what that church believes. That, that should be what is most important. Listen, there's probably much better preachers in this city and probably not much better worship. I'll just say that, okay? But I'll, I'll just speak for myself. You can probably get a lot better preaching somewhere else. That's, that's probably true. But it matters what a church believes. I got an email from a guy this morning who's moving from Virginia to Lubbock and he wants to know more about our church. He's been listening online and he wants to know more about our church. And he said, Hey, can you tell me and send me your full doctrinal statement, everything, your statement of belief? And I said, absolutely. And man, I just want to applaud you for doing that because most people choose a church and they have no idea what that church believes, but that should be of primary importance because there's good theology and there's bad theology and it affects your life, your theology, your church's theology. It affects the direction of your life. And so it matters. And if you're believing a counterfeit or if your church believes a counterfeit, it could ruin your life. It could disillusion you in your faith. This past week, after getting fooled by the $100 bill, and in light of this message, I went online to the Federal Reserve's website and they have a currency education program where you can learn all about how to spot a counterfeit bill, a forgery. But here's what's interesting. They don't really teach you about all the different ways a bill can be forged. Here's what they do. 
They teach you about the real thing. They show you all the ins and outs and all the ways a real hundred dollar bill is true and authentic. And so what they'll, what they say on, on their website is you get to know the real currency, the, the authentic currency, and then anything less than that one error away from what's real and what's authentic. And you've got a forgery. So, so they teach you about what the real is so that you know the real, so that you can spot the fake. So here's our, our big idea. Here's our challenge for you today. You can spot the counterfeit by knowing the authentic. You're going to spot the authentic. You're going to spot the counterfeit rather by knowing the authentic. You got to get rooted in God's word in his son, Jesus. And as you get rooted in the word of God, like we talked about last week and rooted in Christ, you'll be able to spot the counterfeit. Now, my job as a pastor, part of my job as a pastor is to feed the sheep, is to feed the flock. The, the New Testament refers to pastors as shepherds. It's one of the illustrations. Now we've got our chief shepherd is Jesus, but then we've got pastors who are kind of like under shepherds. They're, they're little, <clears throat> they're little low, lowly shepherds. Okay. And, and, and part of our job is to, to feed the flock though. It's to feed the sheep. But one other part of our job, my job is to protect the flock. It's to protect the sheep. And so I'm not trying to go all negative today. That, that's, that's not my heart. But part of my job, you've got to understand that the scripture calls me to is to protect. It's to guard that that's part of my job. And so that's some of what we're doing today. We're getting to know the real, we're getting to know the authentic so that we aren't captured by the counterfeit so that we might be conquerors in Christ. Like Paul said in Romans chapter eight. So turn with me to Colossians chapter two, Colossians two, let's get rooted in the authentic and then we'll take some time and expose the counterfeits. So rooted in the authentic Colossians chapter two, starting in verse 10, Paul says this. So you also are complete. Christ is supreme to complete. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. We'll get more to that later by the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. That's the devil and his satanic forces. He disarmed these spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You see, here's what you've got to understand about the real, about the authentic. Christians say Jesus plus nothing. It's always Jesus plus nothing. 
Jesus plus nothing brings salvation. It makes you right with God. We'll see more about that here in just a second. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing that will sanctify you. In other words, to grow you spiritually, it's always Jesus plus nothing. A Christian says Jesus plus nothing. A Christian says, I'm complete in Christ. I'm complete. Through my union with Christ, I am complete. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by Complete. Well, let's break this down. We'll use these verses here we've just read. What does it mean to be complete in Christ? Well, number one, it means you're completely regenerated. Completely regenerated. That's just a big word that means you've been brought to life. You were dead, but now you have been brought to life. You've been completely regenerated. Let's look back in 11 through 13. Paul says, you were dead. You were dead in your sin. That's the curse of sin. You're spiritually dead. You're an enemy of God and you are headed to hell. You're spiritually dead. So Paul says, you were dead and you had this sinful nature that was not yet cut away. So in other words, you were dominated by sin. You weren't just dead, you were dominated by sin. And when you sinned against God, whether you realized it or not, you, you, you weren't that broken over it. Now, now, maybe you felt some sort of guilt because the scripture says we've all got the moral law of God written on our hearts, but you weren't broken over your sin because you offended an infinitely holy and righteous God who you love and loves you. And you know that sin breaks his heart. It breaks the heart of God. And so you weren't really broken over your sin because you were dominated by that sin. You lived in sin. You loved sin. That's who we once were, all of us. You weren't born a Christian. At one point before you gave your life to Jesus, you were dominated by this sinful nature that Paul says that was not yet cut away. So you're dead in your sin, you're dominated by sin, you're under the curse of sin, which is death. But then Paul says, when you trusted in Christ, at that moment, you were raised to new life. You were dead and God did a miracle in your heart. You could do nothing for yourself spiritually to make yourself right with God. But then by your faith in Jesus, God did a miracle in your heart and he brought you back from the dead. He raised you to life. Jesus said it like this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though you die, you will live. You will be raised to life. Ephesians 2 says it like this, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. But through your faith in Jesus, you are raised up with Christ. And just like Jesus was raised up and then went to the Father, one day, you too, even though you've now been raised up now, one day you will be raised up finally and ultimately as you spend eternity in heaven with your Father, your heavenly Father. But you were dead, you've been raised up to new life in Christ. And so that's why when you're baptized, you go under the water. We, we bury you, and we say that, buried with Christ. You're going underneath the water to represent your, your death to sin. You are dead in your sin and your death now to sin as you come up out of the water and we say raised to new life in Christ. That baptism, Paul says, is a symbol. It represents what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. You were dead in your sin, but now you're new, new life, raised to new life, raised to walk in the newness of this new life in Christ. You were born again, Jesus said. 
You were dead, but through your faith in Jesus, you're, you're born again. And you've got this new life in Christ now with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, that spirit of holiness that gives you a hatred for sin and a love for Jesus, for worshiping Jesus, for learning about Jesus, for growing in Jesus, for sharing Jesus, for praying in Jesus's name. It, it just gives you a love. The Holy Spirit of God gives you a love for these spiritual things of God now that you didn't have before. That's the new covenant. When God places his spirit inside of you, you were dead and he places his spirit inside of you and it wakes you up and it gives you a new life in Christ where you just love these spiritual things of God now. You didn't before, but now you do. That's being regenerated. It's being brought to life. And not only that, Paul says, when your sinful nature was, was cut away and you received the spirit of God and you get this new life, you are now righteous in the eyes of God. You're righteous. You're holy and blameless in the eyes of God. We call it a double imputation, okay? Now that's just a big theological term that means this. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. That when you put your faith in Jesus, God imputes the righteousness of Christ to you. It means he gives you Jesus's righteousness and Jesus is imputed your sin or your sin is imputed onto Jesus through his death on the cross. So that's just a big fancy way of saying Jesus takes your sin and the fine for your sin and God gives you the righteousness of Christ. It's called a double imputation. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't work for it. God just gave you the righteousness of Christ through your faith in Jesus. And Jesus takes your sin and there's this great exchange that takes place. And now you are holy and righteous in the eyes of God, which leads us to the second point. In Christ, you are completely justified. Completely justified. You are righteous in the eyes of God. Look with me in 13 and 14. In Christ, Paul says, you are forgiven of all your sin. That's past, present, and future. Hebrews says it like this. Christ died once and for all. There's no more punishments left to be had for sin. There, there's no more sacrifices that need to be made for your sin once and for all time. That's why Hebrews says, Jesus is our forever high priest. We don't need another priest. You don't, you don't need anyone else or any kind of, we'll get to this here in just, or any kind of angel or being or any other person to get to God. Paul says there's only one mediator between us and God and that's Jesus. And so through Jesus, we are righteous in the eyes of God. Our sin has been totally forgiven, past, present, and future. And then Paul says, the record of the charges that were against you were nailed to the cross, to the cross of Christ. Paul's referring here to what would have been common in his day for a criminal to be executed on a cross under the Roman government with the charges of his crimes written on a note, a record above him. And he would die on that cross, executed for his crimes with a record of the charges against him above him on that cross. And Paul is saying that the record of your sin, past, present, and future, was nailed to the cross of Christ. And it was paid in full. Just like that old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. The record of your sin that Satan would hold over you in order to keep you hostage to your past, 
has been nailed to the cross and you have been forgiven. Paul says of all your sin, God has cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. One commentator said it like this, that Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was an act of triumphant defiance in the face of those blackmailing demonic powers that were holding the record of our sin over us in order to command our allegiance. And so through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, Jesus conquered our sin. He conquered the grave and he canceled the power of our sin and the power of the devil who would hold our sin over our heads. So the curse of sin, the curse of the law that says, if you don't abide by the law in every one of God's laws, then you are a lawbreaker. And if you stumble at one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the all the scripture says. That's the curse of the law that no one could ever live up to and establish their own righteous standing before God. That no one could ever be good enough to be right with God. That's the curse of the law is that we all fall short of God's law. We're all lawbreakers. And so this curse of sin, the curse of the law, even any kind of generational curse that might be on or over your family because of the sin that's inherited from one generation to the next. All of that, every curse over your life was broken and canceled at the cross. Which leads to our third point. In Christ, you are completely victorious. In Christ, you are completely victorious. Paul said that your sinful nature was cut away. And so sin no longer has power over you. That, that, that means that you're no longer dominated by sin. You're still going to battle with this flesh. And the scripture says the lust of our eyes, the lust of our, we're still going to battle, but we do battle with the Holy Spirit inside of us, supernaturally strengthening us. And we do so from a place of victory. We don't have to work for the victory. We don't have to go to battle in order to be victorious. We are already victorious in Christ. And so we do battle from a place of victory with God's spirit inside of us, supernaturally giving us power over sin. So we're victorious over sin. We're also victorious over the devil himself. Verse 15 says that Jesus conquered the devil and disarmed the devil. And so through Christ and in Christ, you have victory over the devil. The imagery here of verse 15 comes from a common practice in Paul's day where a Roman general would defeat an enemy and when they defeated them, they would take the captives from that enemy, from that army, and they would lead them in a procession back to Rome. And they would walk them through the streets of Rome in order to embarrass, to publicly disgrace and embarrass their enemy and to reveal the power and glory of Rome. And what Paul is saying here 
is that is what Christ has done to the devil. Through his victory over him at the cross and his resurrection from the grave, Paul is saying here that Jesus has taken the devil and all of his forces and he has led them in triumphant procession. He has disarmed them and publicly shamed them and has revealed his power and glory through his disarming. Is defeating Satan at the cross. Paul says it like this in Galatians 4, verse 9. I love this. It says about the devil and his forces. He says this They are now the weak and beggarly elemental forces. They are now the weak and beggar. They're beggars in the kingdom of God. They've got no power. No power over Jesus, no power over the Christian. You will do battle against him, but you do it from a place of victory. You will battle your enemy in this life and he will try to destroy your life. But as a Christian, you do battle from a place of victory against a weak beggar because greater is he that is in you than any power that's in this world. Hebrews two says it like this. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. In other words, he took on flesh and blood that through death, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The Hebrew says Jesus through his death on the cross canceled the power of him who holds the power of death. That, that's the devil and delivered, completely delivered those of us who've put our faith in Jesus from the fear of death and from the fear of our enemy. He's completely delivered us. Jesus said it like this in a parable he told. He said, who can enter the house of a strong man, tie him up and plunder his goods? Who could possibly do that, Jesus? Who, who could possibly enter the house of a strong man? He's talking about the devil. Who could enter his house, tie him up and plunder his goods? Only a stronger man, Jesus said referring to himself and prophesying what was to come at the cross, that a stronger man had come. And through Jesus' death on the cross, tied up the devil and plundered his goods. Only a stronger man could do that. Several years ago, I was in Northern Thailand, just north of Chiang Mai in we were with a missionary, his name's Norman Rideout, and he was taking us around to different villages and we were kind of getting to experience and be a part of the, the, the church in some of these villages where this church planting movement's taking place. And we were in this one village and he introduced us to a man who used to be a witch doctor. Now, I'm just gonna be real, it's probably the only witch doctor I've ever met in my life, okay? But 
He, there he was, he was standing there, he's the leader of this village. He used to be a witch doctor, but now he's a Christian, he's a follower of Jesus. And, and many people in that village are followers of Jesus now as a result of this man's conversion, regeneration. And so Norman began to tell us about how the gospel came to this village. And he said, this man who was a witch doctor who's standing right there, he said, this man who used to be a witch doctor was in a trance one day where he was speaking with spirits. Now we would know these, to be, these are demonic spirits, but he, he's speaking with these spirits and he overhears, this witch doctor in this trance overhears some of the spirits that he was conversing with mentioned a name that he had never heard before, the name of Jesus. And he said, hey, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> in the trance to the spirits, hey, who, who, who is that? Who, who are you talking about? I've never heard that name before. He's asking these, these spirits, these demonic spirits about this person that they're talking about that he's never heard of before. And these spirits respond back to this witch doctor and said, that's the most high spirit. We don't talk about him. We can't tell you anything more about him. They said, no, 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 tell me more about him. I wanna know about the most high spirit. No, no, we can't, we can't tell you anymore. If you wanna know more about the most high spirit, you'll have to ask someone else because we're not gonna tell you. And that man was standing in front of us and he said, they were afraid. They, they didn't wanna tell us about the most high spirit. They didn't wanna tell us about Jesus because they were afraid. They, they were fearful that we would know Jesus and no longer be under their control or under their influence. They were fearful. And so a man eventually came, a pastor came, began to share the gospel with them. And they said, hey, we've, we know about this Jesus. We've been waiting for someone to come and tell us more. And they said, how did you know? How did you, how'd you hear about Jesus? Did someone come and tell you? No, no, no. The spirits in my trance told me about Jesus. Oh, never heard that one before. This man ended up giving his life to Jesus. Many people in the village gave their lives to Jesus. And there's a thriving church there to this day. Because that witch doctor came in contact and got to know the most high spirit. And his name is Jesus. He's the stronger man. And he has plundered the devil and shamed him and publicly embarrassed him and completely delivered us from him. Let's keep going. We got rooted in the authentic. We're completing Christ. Now let's look at some of the counterfeits and what Paul tells us about these counterfeits. Verse 16. So in light of being complete in Christ, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or, or Sabbaths. For these are rules and they're only shadows of the reality yet to come. There was false teaching in the Colossian church that said, hey, there's there a, a lot of different false teachings, but one of them was that, hey, in order to be a Christian, you gotta be a good Jew first, and you gotta observe all the rules and the holy days and the ceremonies and the rituals. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you are complete in Christ, and all these rules and ceremonies and rituals and holy days and all these things were just a shadow. They were pointing to the reality, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. He has come. They were all pointing to Jesus and Jesus has come. So don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels. 
saying they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to the Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ and he has set you free. If you are in Christ, you are free from any curse or generate. There's nothing else you have to do. You're in Christ and you get rooted in Christ and you grow in Christ because you're free in Christ from the spiritual powers of this world. <coughs> so why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are just human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they are requiring strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But watch what he says here about all these counterfeits. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. They're no help at all. So we're born again, we're complete in Christ, but now Paul says we, we grow as we root ourselves in Christ and as God nourishes the body, we grow spiritually in Christ. It's called sanctification where we grow to look more and more like Jesus. And practically speaking, we bring more and more and more of our lives under the Lordship of Christ. So we're complete in Christ, but our hearts, as the old hymn says, are prone to wander. To wander from Christ alone. To add to the message of the gospel and the message of scripture to take away from the message of scripture, from the message of the gospel. Our hearts are prone to wonder. Paul says these counterfeits, all of these counterfeits, here's what's at their core. A counterfeit says it's Jesus plus something. Christians say Jesus plus nothing. That's good doctrine, that's good theology. A counterfeit says, no, 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 Jesus isn't enough. You've got to add something on to it. That's bad theology. That's bad doctrine. We believe in Christ alone. Counterfeits and counterfeit teaching say, no, 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 it's Jesus plus something. A counterfeit says this, you're, you're incomplete in Christ. And so you need my secret special fill in the blank in order to be righteous before God, in order to grow spiritually, in order to be spiritual like me, you've got to follow my secret special fill in the blank. And we'll fill in the blank here in just a second. But, but you, you gotta have my secret special or you're not gonna be like me. And I'm super spiritual. And so you gotta believe in Jesus or not and follow my secret special in order to be right with God or the universe or, or whatever, or in order to grow spiritually. So the counterfeit says it's Jesus plus something and you're incomplete in Christ. So now let's break this down. What, what do we mean by that? Well, you're incomplete. First of all, the counterfeit will say you're incomplete morally. And so you need my secret special system. If you really love Jesus, if you wanna be right with God, if you really care about the things of God, this, then you gotta follow my system. You gotta jump through all these hoops and requirements. This is called legalism. This is adding rules, this is adding hoops 
to Christ alone being enough and sufficient for salvation and for sanctification. These rules, these hoops, funny enough, you'll never find them in scripture. Or if you do, there'll be the result, just the fruit of being rooted in Christ and following Jesus. The counterfeit will say you're incomplete. You need my secret special system, my guardrails for life and the way I do things must be your guardrails for life and the way that you do things. And so they'll say things like, you gotta read my Bible translation. If you don't read my Bible translation, then you're not really spiritual and you don't really love Jesus. I mean, how many of us grew up hearing that the King James Version was the only true version of the Bible and all other versions of the Bible were wrong and heresy. If you don't read my version of the Bible, then you don't really love Jesus. If you don't educate your kids in the way that I educate my kids, then you don't really love Jesus. You, you got to homeschool your kids. And that's really the only way to educate your kids is through homeschool. Or they got to be in a private school or a charter school, or your kids must be in public school. If you really love God, then they need to be, and they must be in public school. See, these are rules. These are hoops that they're nowhere in scripture. If you really love Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you must be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat. If you love Jesus, then you must be a, really, I didn't read that anywhere in my Bible. You, you don't have to be a part of any political party to be right with God or to be spiritual. In fact, if you're heavily involved in one or the other, <laughs> that's nowhere in the scripture that you have to be a part of my political party in order to be right with God or in order to love Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we had a gentleman watching online and he started commenting saying that, um, look at that guy uh, wearing a hat and look at that guy leading worship. He's got long hair and uh, look at that, that guy preach. He's got holes in his jeans and just, just kept knocking the way that we looked and the way that we dressed. And he said, you guys look more like a bar than a church. And I didn't know whether to feel bad about that or to feel encouraged. I, I'm really not really sure, but legalism, my secret special system says, you got to look like me. You got to dress like me, that this is the way you dress and you look when you go to church. And if you don't look like that and you don't dress like that and your hair doesn't look like mine, then you must not really love Jesus or you're not really a church. You see, we, we, legalism comes up with all these extra rules and, and hoops that you got to jump through in order to be right with God or in order to grow spiritually. But all legalism does is produce pride and self-righteousness. Jesus told a story one time about two guys that were in the place of prayer. One of them was a tax collector in Jesus's day, known to be some of the worst of sinners. And Jesus said the tax collector was praying in the presence of God and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Have mercy on me, a sinner. But then he talked about another man, a Pharisee, who was right there next to the tax collector. And he said, God, thanks that I'm not like, what's his face over here, right? Thanks I'm not like him. I do this, I don't do this. I do this, I don't do this. 
God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. I've got it all together. He doesn't. Jesus said, which man do you think walked away righteous in the eyes of God? The self-righteous man or the man that said, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, legalism, I do this, I don't do this, so you need to do this and you can't do it. Legalism produces pride and self-righteousness. Religion, legalism says you gotta do one, two, and three. But Jesus said, follow me. And if you follow me, I'll clean you up. I'll put you back together. I'll heal the brokenness in your life. Follow me. It's not one, two, three. It's follow me. And listen, this is a challenge for me and American preachers like me that will come to church with a message that says, hey, if you will just do one, two, and three, then you will unlock the secret of spirituality and the Christian life. Just do one, two, and three. And if that one, two, and three doesn't point you to Jesus, then we've led you astray. Because Jesus said, follow me. It's not one, two, three. It's follow me. Because you see, in the new covenant, God promised he would take our heart of stone out and he would give us a heart of flesh that's sensitive to him, that loves him. He promised in the new covenant, he would write his laws on our hearts and he would move us from the inside out, not by some external written code, one, two, three, but he would move us from the inside out to follow him and love him and serve him and worship him. He would change our hearts. That's the spiritual circumcision that Paul's talking about. The sinful nature that we're dominated by is cut away. You're given the Holy Spirit of God that changes your heart. It changes your life. It changes what you desire and what you care about and what you want. It changes what your heart beats for. That's the new covenants where God places his spirit inside of us. Paul says it like this in Romans seven. So we don't serve God in the old way of the written code. We serve in the new way of the spirit. And so Paul says, even these old covenant Jewish religious ceremonies and rituals and days, they're all completed in Christ. They were all shadows of the reality. And Paul says, the reality is here. The reality is Christ and he has come. So we don't have special icons and, and relics and, and even necessarily days and ceremonies and rituals. We've only got symbols. And a symbol points to the reality. We have baptism, we have the Lord's Supper, but these are symbols that point to the reality that's found in Christ. Secondly, the counterfeit says you're incomplete spiritually. And so you need my secret special experience. This is called mysticism. Mysticism elevates experience over the scripture and says to be right with God, or oftentimes to be kind of one with the universe, you, to grow spiritually, then you've got to experience what I've experienced. And mysticism says that if I experience it and it makes me happy, then it must be okay, right, and true. It becomes, we hear this often today, my truth or my journey. And listen, I'm glad you got your truth and your journey, but you submit your truth and you submit your journey to the truth. Or you're going to be taken captive by empty philosophy and high sounding nonsense. 
My truth, my journey sounds good. But if you don't submit your truth, your experience, your journey to the scripture and to the gospel of Jesus, then you're going to find yourself led astray into destruction. You're going to be taken captive if you don't submit your experience to truth from God's word. So listen, be creative with your clothes, be creative with your hair, uh, be, be creative with an art and music, with your house, be creative, but don't get creative with Jesus. We're not called to be creative with Jesus. The scripture tells us that we are to remain faithful to the truth that we've been taught, to the truth that we have received. And we find that in God's word. And we are to remain faithful to it, not get creative with it. And so we submit our experiences to the scripture. We test it. Now, here's what we're not doing. We're not denying and we're not minimizing your supernatural encounter or experience that you had with God. We're not, we're not denying that. And we're not gonna minimize it. In fact, I want everybody to have supernatural encounters with God. We prayed this morning that every person here would have a supernatural encounter with the God of the universe. You would experience God. You wouldn't just hear things and you wouldn't just go through the motions and the rituals of church. You would experience God. You would hear from God. We're praying for that right now in Jesus' name. We want everyone to have a supernatural experience with God. But what we don't say is your experience has to look like my experience. And if you don't have my experience, then you're not really a Christian. And if you don't experience Christ the way that I, then you're not really a Christian or you're not really spiritual like I am. Because if you really knew Jesus, if you're really super spiritual, then you would have all these experiences that I've had. And we don't, we don't do it. We want you to experience God, but we don't elevate them above scripture. And we don't demand that someone has our experience in order to be spiritual in our eyes. When Isaiah had a powerful encounter, a powerful experience with God, he didn't walk away from that experience saying, wow, man, guys, I had the most amazing experience with God. Uh, I met with God, God spoke to me. He told me, you, you need to do what I did. You need to have this experience where this happens and here's the result of that. That's not what Isaiah did. I, experiences with God don't produce pride. When Isaiah was in the presence of God and had this powerful encounter and experience with God, what was Isaiah's response? I, God, I am so unclean and I live among a people of unclean. We are unclean. I don't deserve to be in your presence. That experience with God produced humility, not pride. And that experience with God pointed other people to have their experience with God. But Isaiah doesn't walk away saying, well, if you were spiritual like me, uh, then, then you would have the experience and the encounter with God that I, no, 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 no. <laughs> I am unclean. I don't deserve to be in your presence. God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to me and letting me encounter you in this way. Third, the counterfeit says you're incomplete mentally. And so you need my secret special revelation from God. I've got a word from God. I've got a revelation from God. God told me that you must do this or we must do that in order to be saved or in order to be sanctified. If you were really spiritual, then you would do what I say and what God revealed to me. Another way we see this true today or happening today is in psychology or in philosophy saying, well, you've got to find yourself and understand yourself and celebrate yourself. 
We, we just don't find any of that in the scripture. Jesus said, no, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That's where real life is found. That's where joy and satisfaction are found. Or in denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. So there's no knowledge or revelation that someone is going to receive that supersedes or is above scripture. No, we submit every word of knowledge or, or prophecy that we've received or that is spoken over us. We submit that to the scripture. We believe in scripture alone, which means this. We submit every revelation, every book, every teacher, every social media influencer, every form of philosophy and psychology to the scripture. One of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen in my life is a man named Barry Alvis. He's a pastor here on our staff. He's gifted in some ways I'm not. I believe he's, he's gifted with prophecy and other supernatural ways that, that I'm not gifted. I just don't, I don't have the same gifts that he does. And I've always seen Barry, when he's exercising that gift of prophecy or giving a word of knowledge to someone, he will say this, this is what I feel like God is speaking to me right now or saying to me right now for your life. And so now you need to take that and you need to submit that to this. He'll always say, you need to submit that to the scripture and, to, and make sure the spirit kind of uh, uh, confirms that in your heart and in God's word. And, the, and you need to share that with some other people around you and just make sure that's what other people are sensing to. You, did you sense the humility there and that word of prophecy, that, that word of knowledge that he got? It's not thus saith the Lord, go and do likewise. No, he submits that word of knowledge or that prophecy to the scripture and to the spirit and to the church as a whole. He doesn't exercise that gift with pride. He exercises it with humility. Fourth, the, in, or, or the, the counterfeit will say that you're incomplete culturally. And so you, you've got to have my secret special tolerance. The Bible's archaic. It's old. Jesus is archaic. He's old. Culture has advanced past the scripture and past Jesus. And so if you don't celebrate the things I celebrate, and if you're not tolerant of the things I'm tolerant of and intolerant of the things I'm intolerant of, then you must not really know God or you must not be all that spiritual like I am. Because you don't, exercise my secret special tolerance. And then finally, the counterfeit will say, you're incomplete materially. And so you need my secret special denial. This is called asceticism. Paul refers to this here in the verses that we just read when he says, when he's talking about this strict self-denial and this pious self-discipline. Asceticism says, the poorer you are, the less that you have, the less attractive you are, the more spiritual you are. This is known also as poverty theology. Prosperity theology says, the more you have, the more spiritual you are. If you're really spiritual, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Poverty theology says the opposite. The less you have, the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. Neither are true. Neither are indications of spirituality or lack thereof. And so the counterfeit will say, you're incomplete. And I think if we're honest, we would all say, we've struggled with one or more of these at different points in our life. I know I have. And I think you probably have too, because our hearts are prone to wander from Christ alone. But Paul's warning us 
that these Jesus plus something counterfeits are number one, deceptive. They're deceptive. They, they seem wise, they appear good, they sound good, but they cannot promise, they cannot deliver on what they've promised. And so he says, don't let them capture you. These things sound nice, but they're very deceptive. They feel good, they sound nice, but they can never deliver what they promise. Secondly, he says, these counterfeits are worthless. They're empty, he said, they are empty. They have no help to conquer evil desires, he said. In other words, they, they're no help in transformation. They won't satisfy you. They won't bring you the joy or the life that you're looking for. Martin Luther lived in a monastery before believing in Christ alone, before uh, being one of the, the, the leaders and the starters of the Reformation. And Martin Luther lived in a monastery. And one of the reasons men like him would go and live in a monastery was to get away from evil women who would entice them and tempt them and cause them to lust. And so people like Martin Luther went to live in the monastery to get away from women. And here's what they would tell you to do in the monastery. Martin Luther said, if you have any lustful thoughts, they would tell you, throw yourself in a thorn bush. Now, my guess is after you throw yourself in a thorn bush, the lustful thoughts have probably gone away, but you got a whole nother problem, right? And, and my guess is, is that you always knew when someone was struggling with lustful thoughts. George, it looks like you're really struggling here recently. What makes you say that? Well, you're a bloody mess. See, they, they had no power. Martin Luther was saying later, they had no, had no power to transform his heart. All those rules and those regulations were of no help. And then finally, Paul warns us that these counterfeits are satanic. They're actually satanic. These Jesus plus some things, this Jesus isn't enough. It's actually satanic. He says earlier in chapter two, they come from the spiritual powers of this world. You see what God creates, Satan always counterfeits. Jesus said, beware of false prophets. They're vicious wolves. Paul said, if you hear something different from what you've been taught, don't put up with it. Peter says false teaching brings destruction and condemnation. John said in Revelation, if anyone adds to or takes away from what we have written here in the scripture, let that person be cursed. Paul writes here in Colossians chapter two, these counterfeits are not connected to the head. They're not connected to Christ. They're actually unspiritual. They've become prideful, boasting in their secret special fill in the blank. But Paul said, I boast only in the cross. I boast in Christ alone. These counterfeits, because they're not connected to the head, they're not connected to Christ, they're often not connected to the body. And so if your teacher, author, influencer isn't connected to the church, submitted to spiritual authority and accountability, I wouldn't listen to them, read them, or follow them. I'll confess to you this week, as I was preparing this message, as I always do, I bring it to our staff on Thursdays and we debate it and we talk about it and they, they push back on some of the things I was, uh, I'm saying. And I, I, I was probably going too far in some of the things I was gonna say today. But as they challenged me and kind of pushed back and as we discussed, it clarified what I needed to say. And so I changed some things, I made some edits because of the, the body of Christ around me. You see, we're all, including myself, myself, we're all prone to wonder 
from Christ alone, from scripture alone. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the body of Christ to bring our hearts back to Jesus plus nothing and to give us a passion for getting rooted in Christ, in his word and in his church. So here's the big idea. You spot the counterfeit by knowing the authentic which means you've got to root yourself, as we've said the last couple of weeks, root yourself in Christ, root yourself in the word and root yourself in his body, the church. So let me just give you a baby step, a next step for this week. Press pause on reading that book and start reading the scripture. We've given you an easy way to do it in our daily devotionals. Press pause on that book. Start reading the scripture. Jesus is enough. And if you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. You will prosper. He is our hope. Psalm one says it like this. If you delight in the word of God, you'll be like a tree planted along a river bank and you will bear fruit, and you will prosper in all you do. You are a conqueror in Christ. You're complete in him and believing that will help you be a conqueror in Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that right now in this moment through the Holy Spirit's power, you would draw our hearts back to Christ alone. You would give us a passion through the power of the Holy Spirit for getting rooted, rooted in Christ, rooted in the word and rooted in his body, the church. So God, in this moment, as we sing, as we worship, would you do a special work in our hearts? And I pray every last one of us would have a supernatural encounter with the God of the universe today as we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship?